Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you all and to open up the Word of God together. As we've been um, going through Paul's letter to the Philippians, we've been learning a lot about the call of the gospel and the life that God calls his children to. Paul is writing to believers who are well established in the good news. Um, Really, from the infancy of the church, they have been involved in supporting Paul and his ministry and and spreading the gospel. And so, at the beginning of Paul's letter, he's very thankful. He expresses thanks to God and, and to the Philippians. And he prays that they would continue to grow in love and knowledge that they might be blameless on the day of Christ and and bear good fruit through Jesus Christ. And so then Paul teaches the church. He begins, uh, he, he shares about his own life. And then in verse 27 of chapter one, he begins teaching the church and says, Only this one thing, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Let your life be consistent with the gospel. As those who are citizens of a new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so beginning in chapter one, verse 27 to 30, we we begin to look at this call, this way of life. This new way of life. And and we we saw the importance of persevering. A call to stand firm. And the importance of unity. That we are to stand together and strive together for the gospel's sake. And what does unity look like? Well, Paul gives us a little bit more of a picture in the beginning of chapter 2. And he talks about unity and humility. And that we would have the mind of Christ. And we looked last week at the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his humility, his obedience to the point of death on a cross. Without which we would have no newness of life. So it's all been building up to this picture of the gospel, this description of the gospel. And 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 we continue now building on this picture of the new way of life in which we are to live. In chapter two and verse 12. And we're going to look today at the call and the joy of obedience. Obedience is an important topic. You know, it's it's not something we enjoy from childhood. We're naturally rebellious and opposed to the message that we're going to hear today. My parents used to say to us kids, obey right away in a happy way. 
And they were trying to teach me that that obedience is more than just an outward doing of an actions, but really must flow from a willing and thankful heart. And if I was truly thankful, I would be more willing to obey my parents and to obey the Lord God. I needed to learn the joy of obedience. As a child, I needed a new heart in order to live this new way of life. I needed the work of Jesus Christ that we talked about last week. Now what what Paul is pointing out to the Philippians here, he's building off of the gospel, the good news. And he's showing us this new way of life. That now as followers of Jesus, saved by his grace, we were saved to walk in his ways, to walk in obedience. This isn't an optional thing. And we are able to do this with an attitude of joy because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because He was perfectly obedient for us. So that by faith in Him, we read in in the prophet Ezekiel, he's prophesying about how the Lord will give the people a new heart. Ezekiel 36, uh, 24. Sick, uh, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So because of the work of Jesus Christ, we might have his new spirit and a new heart within us. And that means that our obedience is not to get right with God, but it is living out of this new heart, this new life that the Lord has given to us. If you would turn with me to Philippians 2, we'll consider this call and also the joy of obedience. And I'll begin by reading verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As he often does, Paul uses the word therefore here to link this command back to the example of Christ. And this is important. It illustrates something that we see all throughout the New Testament. Every ethical command in the Bible, everything the Lord calls us to do goes back to the gospel that the Lord would change our hearts and transform our lives 
by His grace so that we might live for Him. The foundation of our faith, the foundation for our daily living, our daily walk, is the work of Jesus Christ and all that He has done. Without that foundation, the supporting walls won't hold. But if we understand the gospel rightly, we will understand the place of his commandments in our daily life. So how does the gospel relate to obedience? We're going to consider from verses 12 and 13, three principles about how the gospel relates to obedience. Well, first of all, Obedience is not optional. Second of all, obedience involves effort on our part. And thirdly, this is where the gospel really comes in. It is God who works in us the desire and the ability to obey. Out of that new heart which he has given so we'll consider these three things. First of all, it, it's not optional. Obedience, um, Paul writes, is, is to be an, an everyday reality. He talks about how they've always obeyed. So he's encouraging them to continue to follow the Lord. And, and he says, not just when I'm in my presence, but much more in my absence. In other words, I want you to continue to obey no matter what, at all times, always. We are to follow the Lord and to seek His will in our lives. So obedience is not optional. And then Paul continues in verse 12 in the second half. Of verse 12, and he says something quite amazing. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. These verses teach us both the intensity and effort on our part and, and the absolute necessity of the Lord's work in, in sanctifying us and enabling us to actually obey. So it involves effort on our part, but it is God who works in us. And at first glance, these two thoughts kind of seem opposed. And a lot of times what happens, whether consciously or not, is we emphasize or think about one or the other. Some people, sometimes we end up emphasizing the human activity, you know. You better work it out, guys. Right. If you don't, you're in, there's in trouble, you know, fear and trembling. Let's get on our knees and be, you know, you need to do this. Right. 
And the danger is that God can become in our minds nothing more than an added helper. It's like, oh yeah, I'll go to him to help, but it's really my job. That's not what this passage says about sanctification. And maybe maybe others or maybe at other times we fear legalism or we want to protect the gospel. We remember we are saved by grace, right? And so we, we only emphasize God's work. But really... We need to let the force of each verse be heard. And I think at times we need perhaps the emphasis on one or the other, but they're not. We can't truly separate them or else you have a gospel of works or a gospel of. Just it's all grace, but I don't have to do anything. There's no call to follow Christ. You know, we are to work out our salvation, to obey the Lord, to seek him with such intensity and reverence, precisely because it is God who works in us. We are to work out our salvation with with reverence and awe and and um, persistence. Precisely because it is God who works in us. How could we continue truly if we do not remember the work of the Lord in our lives? A man named John Murray wrote a few uh, thoughts about this verse or these verses and he said, This, he said, it's not as though God somehow did his part and we did ours so that both together you add them up and they produce the required result. Rather, God works and we also work. And the relation is that because God works, we work. So all working out of salvation, all of our all that obedience, all the things that we are to do to seek the Lord and to follow him. Is the effect of God working in us. So it's it's not all of my work or God does a little work and I do a little work and we work together to make something good. But rather, any working that we do is because God is working in us. His spirit is working in us through his word, through his people. And it it is knowing this, it is knowing God's presence and power in our lives because of the work of Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, that provides us with the incentive to continue on. Now, I believe the more that we 
obey, the more that we work out our salvation and seek to know the Lord. the more that we see all the power and grace to change is of God. That He is able, that He is working, and that He enables us. Any thought that we can work out salvation of our own power is foolish. And yet, on the, on the other hand, it's, also foolish to think that God does not require us to follow him. He not only requires it, but he works in us the desires and the ability to obey. So that when we do not want to obey, we don't feel like we have the strength. He is working and he is able Don't forget that God is working in you. It is God who works within us. So we have no excuses not to seek to follow him, to give our all to him. Obedience is not optional. It is an everyday active working out of these new desires and this Strength that the Lord gives. So what does the Lord desire of us? In what manner does the new man obey? Paul gets very specific here about what this looks like. First of all, um, you notice in verse 12 that that Paul writes, our working out, our obedience, is to be with fear and trembling. In other words, we ought to have such an awe and reverence for God that we worship Him and take seriously this call to obey. This is not a game. We're talking about the living God likened to a consuming fire who has promised through the work of his son to dwell within us and enable us to live a new life. So let's seek to obey out of awe and reverence for God. And I believe that I don't think we're going to experience the power of God and the grace of God to obey when we are not mindful of the Lord and His holiness and His awesome presence and His amazing power. So let's remember what a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. And rejoice that he dwells in us because of the work of his son. And there's more. So that, that obedience is to be with an attitude of worship, reverence, and awe. And then we read in verse 14. 
Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, without complaining or arguing, as I recall learning it in a song as a kid. You know, sometimes we spend so much time, we, we, we think about, maybe we puzzle over verses 12 and 13, we, we forget the central place of, of verse 14. You see, verses 12 and 13, that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to obey, is so that we would then live what Paul is saying in verse 14. And Paul is very specific here, isn't he? He calls out some things that we all tend to at times in our lives. Attitude of complaining or grumbling or, or arguing. You want to know how to obey the Lord? Don't complain. Don't argue at all. There is in everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. That's pretty exclusive. There's no place for grumbling and disputing in, in the life of a Christian. In our, uh, you don't believe me? Read the rest of the apostles. Every one of them highlights this. James has an awful lot to say about arguing. So does Jude and Peter. These are not little sins. They reveal something deeper in our hearts. As James puts it, desires that are at war and pride. Grumbling is the same word that is used to describe the Israelites' constant complaining in the wilderness. Remember how God saved them from Egypt, the land of slavery, and they were between the mountains on all sides and the, the sea before them and the chariots behind. And uh, they were complaining then, but God saved them. And they sang some songs of praise and not a day or two later, they're muttering about no water and no food. And it just continues. The Lord provides them food. But it's not good enough food. It's the same food every day. And they even think that slavery, back when they could eat all those nice vegetables and fish, that somehow that was better. Some of them thought. Well, in, in another letter, the Apostle Paul talked about the example of the Israelites. He told the church in Corinth who are struggling with some of the same things in Philippi, this arguing and complaining going on. And he said in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, don't try the Lord like some of the Israelites did. Remember how they were destroyed by serpents. Don't grumble like the Israelites did in the wilderness. They were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Instead of being thankful, the Israelites wanted more. Instead of trusting the God who saved them and remembering that he was able to get them through the Red Sea, that he was able to provide food for them every day of their time in the wilderness, they took matters into their own hands. And and the sad thing is that a little grumbling soon became nationwide idolatry. That really the the bowing down before the mountain of God and, and, and to this golden calf started a whole long time ago in their hearts because they did not believe God. They were not content with what the Lord had for them. You know, grumbling is no joke. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. But instead, Moses spoke to them in Deuteronomy 32 at the end of his life in chapter uh, verses 3 and 4. He calls them a crooked and perverse generation. And you know, that's exactly what Paul calls the world. Here in our passage, if you look in verse 15. But what Israel failed to do because of their unbelief, we are able to do through Christ. Who is the light of the world, who walked in obedience, perfect obedience, redeeming us from the curse of the law by his death on a cross. So that instead of grumbling and turning away from God, we can turn to Jesus and look to him for help. And remember, as verse 13 says, that he is the one who is working in you. The Lord has done what Israel did not do. And through him, as we trust in him and rest in his obedience, we can follow him. And and Paul goes on and, and and he just lays out in verses 15 and 16 these these wonderful results and blessings of obedience. That, that verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, so that through Jesus you might be what Israel was not. That by faith, by walking in obedience to Christ, we might be children of God without fault in the midst of of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom we shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud, Paul says, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So we see that in following the Lord, in His strength, For it is God who works in you 
We will be blameless and pure. And without blemish or without fault in the midst of a perverse world. And that we would shine like stars. Holding forth the word of life that people might see the one through whom it is possible. The one to whom we are pointing. That greater light who gives us light. And and even that we would demonstrate our spiritual fathers and our leaders like people like Paul who have led us to the gospel and ministered to our lives that by our lives we might show they have not ministered in vain. There's some wonderful reminders. It's important to keep these in mind. That trusting and obeying the Lord is worthwhile. It is a good thing, a joyful thing. Not only will our salvation stand secure, but in a perverse world, we will stand out for our joy and our ability to obey the Lord, not of ourselves, but of the work of God. That we would be lights that point others to Jesus Christ. And all of this happens as we put off grumbling and arguing. And put on an attitude of thankfulness and contentment. Paul concludes by personally appealing to the Philippians. He says in verse 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul sets the example for us in his own joy that he is glad to serve the Lord even if it should mean his life is poured out. And most believe that Paul's reference to that drink offering poured out over the other offering was a reference to martyrdom, that he might be willing to pour out every last drop of his life to serve the Lord, and to, to minister to the, the church in Philippi and to all the other churches that he served. And Paul calls the believers to that same kind of joy. That's not a joy that comes from ourselves and our own strength. But it comes from the strength of the Lord that he provides. It comes in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. In his word, that it is God who works in us, that God gives us the ability and the desire to, to act according to his good pleasure rather than to act according to our own way. A joy that comes because we can trust the Lord God who saves and who strengthens. We're going to see in 
in a couple of chapters and talk about chapter 4 where Paul says that I can be content in all circumstances. Why? It's again the same thing that Paul is saying here in chapter 2, verse 13. It is Christ who strengthens me. It is God who works in me. That we might have joy in following him. Do you know that joy? The joy of of forgiveness? Joy of serving Jesus? The king who went to the cross in obedience so that you could be set free from sin to serve him in the power and with the presence of God in our lives. Remember, the foundation of obedience is the gospel. Jesus' obedience. Jesus' sacrifice, his resurrection is the reason you and I, dead in sin with stone-cold hearts, can be made alive to walk in newness of life, ever growing in the grace and knowledge of God. Obedience is not optional. And it involves effort on our part. Even more wonderful, it is God who works in us the desire and ability to obey. He is the one who is able. He is our helper. So let's not be like the Israelites, full of grumbling and disputes. Let's remember the work of the Lord. Remember Jesus Christ and be grateful. Apart from him, we are that crooked and perverse generation. In several places, I think in of Titus chapter 3, you once were like this, but now the grace of God, kindness and mercy of God is poured out to renew us, to change us, to transform our lives. Because of the work of Jesus, we are able to obey with reverence and awe. I mean, think about how amazing it is that a holy God would choose to save people like us. I'm so thankful that God has put up with my complaining over the years. And that he's transforming us all into a holy people. Kingdom of priests that would offer acceptable sacrifices of worship with our own lives and of our own works that would be good works done to the glory of God. Now we would not only be able to obey out of of reverence and awe and fear of God, But with that comes the joy of knowing him. Obeying with hearts full of thankfulness. This isn't some pipe dream. This is the promise of God. That he will work in his people. That we can joyfully obey right away in a happy way 
out of a right heart, a new heart. That we can work hard to follow Jesus because He is at work in us. Because of what He has done in us. The call to obedience is a call to joy. Because God is faithful. Because He is good. Because He is able. It's worth repeating what Paul wrote at the beginning of Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Do you believe that? May God work in us the will to do His work with joy so that we might work out our salvation in reverence and awe with great joy. The call to obey is a call to joy and gratitude because of the cross. Let's remember these things throughout our week and trust in the Lord God in the work of Jesus Christ, and rest in Him. Amen. I'm going to pray.